All right, it is that time of the week. We are back again with our top 10 at every position. This week, we are breaking down our right fielder, so let's get into this. In one of the most top-heavy lists that we're going to cover this offseason, it's Dylan Campione, James Tausig, Nico Fernandez, and Henry Kalani. And the four of us will be breaking down the right field position where we've got MVPs, we've got MVP candidates, we've got rookies of the year, we've got breakout candidates, we've got steroid users, we've got everything in between. <laughs> Let's get into it. Top 10 right fielders. James, you're going to give us your 10. Henry, you're going to give us your 10. Nico, and then myself. So... James, without further ado, 10 to 1. Okay, yeah. Number 10, I have Teoscar Hernandez. 9, Nick Castellanos. 8, Say Suzuki. 7, Jordan Walker. 6, Adoles Garcia. 5, Kyle Tucker. 4, Corbin Carroll. 3, Fernando Tatis. 2, Juan Soto. And at number 1, Ronald Acuna Jr. Henry. All right. At 10, I have Max Kepler. 9, Anthony Santander. 8, George Springer. 7, Jordan Walker. 6, Adolis Garcia, 5, Corbin Carroll, 4, Fernando Tatis Jr., 3, Kyle Tucker, 2, Juan Soto, 1, Ronald Acuna. Nico. Yeah, I got 10, Mickey Moniak, 9, Nick Castellanos, 8, Jordan Walker, 7, Seiya Suzuki, 6, Kyle Tucker, 5, Adolis Garcia, 4, Corbin Carroll, 3, Fernando Tatis, 2, Ronald Acuna, and 1, Juan Soto. And I've got a 10, Seiya Suzuki, 9, Henry Davis, Eight, George Springer. Seven, Lane Thomas. Six, Adolis Garcia. Five, Kyle Tucker. Four, Tatis. Three, Carroll. Two, Soto. And one is Ronald Acuna Jr. I find it fascinating that when you look at the right field list that we have, two Yankee fans on the podcast, and then Nico's obviously a Boston Red Sox fan. However, Ronald Acuna Jr. is number one for the Yankees fans, and then Juan Soto is, or yes, and Juan Soto is number one for the Boston Red Sox fans, so James and Henry, I'll give you guys the floor first. Why is Ronald Acuna number one? Yeah, I mean, Acuna's your defending NL MVP. He went 40-70. I mean, I feel like it's kind of a no-brainer. There's no real debate to be had. Don't get me wrong. So it was the clear number two. <clears throat> but I mean, Acuna just had a historic season and showed no signs of slowing down, uh, except for when... Uh, the playoffs start, so uh, we're, we're going off regular season, so I have no problem putting Acuna at one. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know how you can look at these two and not put Ronald Acuna one. I love Juan Soto, right? He's on my team now. That's awesome. But Juan Soto is not great at defense, to say the least. Ronald Acuna is an excellent defender, and he hits just as well as Juan Soto does, so... You know, it's I don't I don't really see how you can put him how you can not put him one. Nico, give us your take then, and it probably is gonna have to include a bold prediction to explain this one. Yeah. Uh this is simply if we're going off of the 2023 season, like I'm not gonna sit here and say it's Juan Soto, it's Acuna. But again, for the last year I've done this, first time I came on, Dylan told me this is a prediction for the year that's coming. So whenever I approach these, I instantly think like what are my picks for MVP, Cy Young, all those things? And I'm saying it now, my AL MVP pick is going to be Juan Soto. I think that going into this year, I think that 
I think that there's a lot of pressure on him, but I think he's one of those guys that's going to thrive under pressure. I think that he has the highest floor of any player in baseball right now, maybe besides Otani, just because Otani is able to do stuff both ways. I think that no matter what, he will walk into a room, and I think he will, no matter what, no matter how bad he hits, will have an 820 OPS. I don't think that's going to happen to him. I think that this is going to be the year that all the expectations we had for him offensively, since the short 2020 season and 2021, he's going to come to fruition. I think he's going to rake. I think he's going to hit better than Aaron Judge. I think he's going to hit better than any single person in the AL. And I think we're going to look at it, and we're going to be like, look, he's a corner outfielder. At the end of the day, yes, Acuna is better defensively than him, but we're talking about a corner outfield. Obviously, defense is not the same in the corner outfit as it is in center field. And I think he's going to be so far and ahead offensively. He's going to have an all-time year offensively, in my opinion. And he's my pick for AL MVP. So I feel like my conscience, I need to have him at number one because I feel like it'd be dishonest if I have a guy who I don't think is winning MVP, even though they're different divisions, over a guy who I think is going to be a runaway MVP this year. Two quick questions then about this. We can go around the horn, same order that we just did. Does Juan Soto being a New York Yankee help or hurt his position at the number one or number two spot, in your opinion? James? I think it makes a better case for him to be number one. I mean, obviously, in theory, he should hit more homers and just be more productive on offense. It's also a much smaller field, so it should be easier for him to play right field uh, in theory, but we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, he hasn't proven anything yet. It's tough to play in New York. We've seen guys who are supposed to be stars come to New York and not live up to the hype. So um, I guess we'll just have to sit and wait and see what happens. Henry. Yeah, I mean, it helps, but at the end of the day, it doesn't help enough to catch uh, Acuna because, I mean, like, at least for me, right, it's a projection, right? But I think my base layer is what they did in 2023. And then I think, well, can they repeat that or will they be able to exceed what they did in 2023 or will they disappoint? I don't see any reason why Acuna couldn't do 4070 again. So. And then, Nico, you got the flip question of what are the expectations for Ronald Acuna this year? Obviously, I don't think, although Henry just alluded to it, 4070 again in 2024 is likely not going to happen. But what do you think if you want to put numbers on Acuna's 2024? I think Acuna is going to be probably second in NO MVP. I have to say that because I don't think he's going to win MVP. I have Bryce Harper winning MVP. But again, I don't see why Acuna can't be 3060 this year. And if that gets him to NO MVP, like, Again, I was wrong, but I think Acuna, again, he's passed his injuries. He's healthy. He's in his prime. He's going to do exactly what we expect Acuna to do because Acuna is a baller and Juan Soto is a baller. Let's talk about the battle of the NL West. That is that Fernando Tatis Jr. versus Corbin Carroll. We're right next to each other on all of our list in that 3-4-5 area. James, I believe you had them in the order of Tatis on top. Nico, you had Tatis as well. Henry, you had, shoot, you had Tatis as well, and then I'm all alone thinking that Corbin Carroll is going to be a better baseball player than Tatis in 2024. So I'll go to bat to him afterwards, but James or Nico, if you want to talk about Corbin Carroll, because Henry, or about Fernando Tatis Jr., because Henry, you actually had another guy above both of them. Yeah, I think uh, Fernando Tatis showed last year that he's an elite defender in right field, and I think usually what we see is guys struggle because they struggle at a new position which is like something we very often see. I think we saw it with Jazz. Obviously, he had injury problems, but we've seen it with a lot of guys that learning a new position usually entails struggle offensively. He excelled defensively. So the one thing that he needs to get better is the one thing we've known that this has been able to do for his whole career, and that's hit. The guy's a five-tool player. I understand he had his steroid issues. I understand there's questions about his maturity. But right now, it's Juan Soto's gone. 
It's put it over shut up. It's you and Machado. And I think that his offense is going to go back to what we expected from 2021 in his rookie year. Obviously, it was a little down this year. But I think if we get what Fernando Tatis was expected to be as a shortstop offensively, combined with what we saw that he can do defensively, I think he's right up there number three. And again, if Acuna and Juan Soto weren't elite of the elite baseball players, he'd probably be number one on a lot of lists. Henry, how about the Kyle Tucker argument? I mean, I feel like I say this every time I talk about Kyle Tucker, but I might be the biggest Kyle Tucker lover in the world. This guy is so understatedly amazing. Um, he had better offensive years than both of these guys. Um, and he plays he plays good enough defense in a weirdly shaped Minute Maid Park. I feel like people don't give that enough credit. It's weirdly shaped. Um, and <laughs> Jesus, James. <laughs> um, um he is so consistent and and on the offensive side of the ball. He had an 886. He had a 142 OPS plus this year. That is insane. I don't know. I feel like Kyle Tucker, especially with the fact that I think I don't see any reason why the Astros don't go back to at least the ALCS, if not the World Series. Kyle Tucker is going to be an even bigger part of that next year as he gets one more year in age. He is going to be the third, the third best right fielder in baseball. I think the thing with Corbin Carroll, and we did get to see it on the national stage during the World Series, that there isn't really a weakness in his game, and we saw him perform this well as a rookie. I think if you go back to yesterday's episode where Nico went on a little bit of a rant about how why do we expect rookies to do so well in their first season in the major leagues, it's because of guys like Corbin Carroll that come up and are electric. I know he got a cup of coffee in 2022, but 2023 was the first year that he was actually handed the starting role opening day hey, you're our right fielder, go and perform. And what did he do? He went out and performed. His batting run value was in the top 5%. His base running value was in the top 1% of Major League Baseball. His, all his underlying numbers are really good, as well as just his regular numbers. 285 batting average, 870 OPS. Put the ball over the yard 25 times, 50 stolen bases. I know we were talking about Acuna going 40-70, and while I don't think Corbin Carroll has 40 home runs in him, would it shock anyone if he goes 30-60 next year in a full season? I don't think so. And I don't think, as much as I love Kyle Tucker, he's not stealing 60 bases. And Fernando Tatis Jr., I don't know. This is going to sound harsh, but with the amount of injuries and steroids and stuff like that, I think I know exactly what I'm getting in Corbin Carroll next year. And there's a chance that Fernando Tas Jr. gets hurt opening day and we don't hear from him again. I know obviously everyone can get hurt, but we've had one full season of Fernando Tatis in the last four years, pretty much. So, Dylan, yes. all three at their best. Fernando Tatis, Corbin Carroll, Kyle Tucker. Who's the third best outfielder? Third best Tucker. I want Iguodala. Wow, that's a hot take. At their best? Yes, because I think Corbin Carroll can impact a game in more than one way, whether Why he's stealing a base. Third, third best out of those three? No, no, third best outfielder, bro. Oh, Corbin Carroll. I'm taking Carroll over Fernando Tatis Jr. Jay, you're I not going to both At James their best, at, at his best, Fernando Tatis Jr. is the NL MVP. Exactly. We've never seen that. How do you know? What do you mean we've never seen that? Fernando Tatis Jr. has never been an MVP. He's been just he as is... close as Corbin Carroll. Yeah, then who are you more surprised goes... That is not... With... What? At the... Who are you what more surprised... He has played like an MVP before. Tatis or, or Corbin Carroll? 
I'd be more surprised if Fernando Tatis Jr. won the MVP than Corbin Carroll this year. That's not what I'm asking. That's not what I asked. Wait, what I did said, you ask? Surprise won 40-70. I'd be more surprised if Fernando Tatis Jr. stole 70 bases than Corbin Carroll hitting 40 home runs. <laughs> ah. now, now everyone doesn't like me again. Welcome, welcome back like to the you. hate. I hate you, actually. <laughs> Um, I will say, though, because I did want to point this one out because this will get a kick out of Henry. Uh, shout out to our high school baseball coach that said that nobody in baseball likes to hit sinkers because apparently they're the toughest pitch to hit. Henry, would you like to guess what Corbin Carroll's batting average is on sinkers? 450. 370. Yeah. Seems like Corbin Carroll likes to hit sinkers, coach. But moving on, let's talk about the other big six of the right fielders, and that is Adolis Garcia. James, we're coming to you on this one as you had him high on your list as well. Tell us why. Uh, I mean, he hits nukes. Uh, he's a close <laughs> performer. I think we got to take. That's I nice. think we have to take playoffs into account a little bit. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm going to glaze him. I mean, that guy, he's him. Uh, he literally single handedly carried the Rangers to a World Series. Uh, he literally just told the Astros to like, you know, that South Park meme where his balls are in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> that is what. Adolis Garcia He's did lazy, bro. Put all in that Houston on. the entire series. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just have to respect that. He hit, I think it was like 37, 38 homers past year, and he missed a good chunk of games. Uh, I mean, he's he's a 40 home run candidate. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I just think he's awesome. He beats Houston. Uh, he really doesn't <laughs> care about anything. He just loves to play hit baseballs very far. Uh, he lets you know that, uh, and he doesn't. So, what is there not to love? How is he not one of the top guys in, in the right field position? Henry Very Hall's, oh, yeah. Very top three chain in the MOB. Easily. <laughs> top three chain. That thing is more than some rookies' contracts. <laughs> Henry, tell us about another St. Louis Cardinals defender that isn't really great on defense, but absolutely mashes the ball, and that's Jordan Walker. Yeah, Jordan Walker's my he's my big upside pick. Um I feel like we we've gotten we've now gotten a little bit of time to see what he can do, but I think we've only really scratched the surface. And I'm a big believer in the fact that the Cardinals are going to have a a nice bounce back year after honestly what you sort of just have to throw away because like how do you even explain what happened? Jordan Walker has all of the tools to be an incredibly successful player in the MLB, right? And I think that given the players that he's surrounded with with veteran leaders like Arenado and Goldschmidt, he's only going to get better. And especially the two, those two guys who can absolutely mash the baseball, Jordan Walker is just going to – he's going to advance, like, farther than I think that anybody's really expecting. Nico, we're coming to you to talk about Seiya Suzuki. Yeah. Seiya Suzuki had a very quiet year. I'm going to be honest. If you asked me going into this list, like, what he had, I would have been like, oh, yeah, it was like a – league average hitter like 790 guy had an 850 ops which again very tough to do in the mlb it's his second year i think that we sometimes don't expect japanese players to grow because for a simple reason if they're a bit older than like the prospects that we have say suzuki's going into his third year of baseball he's now still adjusting to the mlb and he seems to have figured it out improved 70 points in his ops last year it's a very big jump i think if he's able to replicate that 850 ops obviously needs to get a little bit better defensively i think we all are a little bit jaded by him basically costing the cubs their season in one play but again i don't think that that's his whole year his whole year was that he was the second best hitter 
on the Cubs because Cody Ballinger broke out. And I think, again, him by himself, I think I'm going to see more improvement. And I think that there's a chance that we look up and he has a 900 OPS and he's top five in OPS of the right fielders. I'm going to go with the guy in my top 10 in Lane Thomas that numbers right now, pretty solid, 800 OPS. He has a 28 home run season in him last year and a 20 stolen base season in him. So a nice little 2020, maybe it's the 25, 25 next year. But I think the key with Lane Thomas is that it's time for him to get traded. I know we've been in talks about this for years, whether it's to the White Sox or the A's or to the Mets or to the Braves. We've always said it about Lane Thomas, and he's always wound his way on the Washington Nationals. And they are on the cup up in that they were pretty solid in 2023. They almost caught up to the New York Mets when all things were said and done. And Lane Thomas could either be the face of that team going forward, him being the next Ryan Zimmerman, that he's a solid Major League Baseball player, never a star, but a star in D.C., or this is the year that he's shipped off. Regardless, I think the lineup is in a better spot. Either he's going to be the star, so he's going to get walked a lot, high on base percentage, going to do really well in that department, or he gets traded to a lineup that he's going to be filled with stars, and as a result, he's going to get a lot of pitches to hit. I think this year is that make-or-break year. I know we did our breakouts episode yesterday. I wish I had put Lane Thomas as my right fielder because wasn't really thinking about that, but I think Lane Thomas, this is a year, if he's a Washington National He's getting that first all-star game appearance, despite this being a very crowded position. But, James, you were the only person that found a spot for Teoscar Hernandez on his list, the newest Los Angeles Dodger, if you want to explain that logic. Yeah, I mean, I think he's overpaid, but clearly the Dodgers see something in him that other teams didn't uh, if they were willing to give him that kind of a contract. So I thought, eh, why not take a chance? Um, he's a pretty pretty solid outfielder, below-league average defender. Um, but he's been known to, you know, hit the ball he's shown a lot of power throughout his career and i think when you put him in a lineup with the i mean what five all-stars at least we're gonna say right in this year's dodgers lineup maybe six um i think that'll really help him a lot guys are gonna have to come at him throw him a lot of fastballs and i think he'll benefit from that um you know being in a stacked lineup they're gonna pitch around mookie they're gonna pitch around otani they're gonna pitch around freeman You, you can't pitch around hernandez as well so um, I think that'll that'll help him a lot, um, and he won't be asked to do too much defensively, uh, I don't think. Um, so I, I just think that he could have a, a, a very easy breakout year in L.A. this season. Henry, you're the only panelist that found room for George Springer on his list this year, coming off of a difficult 2023 season, but obviously he's been a perennial top 10, whether it was center field and now right fielder in the past. Yeah, I'm not ready to give up on George Springer. This is... This is sort of solely on vibes, I'm not going to lie. But George Springer, as uh, as a part of me growing up, always just being like being so consistent, I'm not ready to think that that his best days, um, those best days are behind him. I'm not going to lie. Don't have many stats to back this one up, boys. <laughs> but George Springer is not done being a top 10 right fielder in the league. Shout out to Jimmy Carter. Nico, tell us about Nick Castellanos. Phenomenal intro. Um, Nick Castellanos, I think he offensively, we all know what we're going to get from him. I think that everyone's going to expect the growth that we've seen. I think it's taken him a little bit longer than people expected to adjust to Philly. I think he's been able to figure it out. We saw what he was able to do in the postseason before they got eliminated. I think Nick Castellanos has the ability to get back to his 900 OPS. And I think, in my opinion, obviously, probably the worst defender we have on this list, even though according to him, he saves it for the playoffs, mm-hmm. even though we're talking, so we're talking about the regular season. So I have to assume he's going to be a bad defender for the 162. Um, So I think that if we look at him 
with his offensive ceiling, I think he can hit offensively with just about anyone besides like the top two or three guys that we have in this list. And I think if he's able to get to that, what we saw with the Tigers, what we saw with the Reds, I think we he easily, because of his offense, could be in this top 10 list. Obviously, his defense, I just don't trust his defense enough. And again, I'm betting on his ceiling. That makes me have him in the top 10, but more out towards the bottom. Henry, I'm going to come to you that your 9 and 10s were not on anybody's list either. Tell us about him. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's just because Anthony Santander is a Yankee destroyer, and I think I honestly think that that might be a part of it. Um, I'm not yapping, James. He he kills us. Over the past two years, he's at a 120 WRC plus, and he gets more and more protection as as the Orioles lineup grows. I don't see any reason why he can't continue the production he has, and the way he's been producing is a top ten player in baseball. With with Jackson Holiday coming up, that's just filling another roster spot. He is going to be a top ten player in baseball. And Max Kepler, I like Max Kepler. I always use these these last couple of spots for guys who I just have like a hunch about. Um, Max Kepler was is sort of like Lane Thomas in the fact that he is always brought up in trade talks and yet never really traded. He is a very serviceable lefty power bat. He plays very good defense, like. He he has the potential, right? Obviously, injuries have been sort of a concern for Max Kepler. If he's healthy, I, I see no reason why he can't be the 10th best right fielder in baseball. Because as we said, it's a pretty top-heavy position, right? It falls off pretty fast after, after the top 10. So I see no reason why Max Kepler putting together, pushing 40 home runs in a season, isn't a top 10 player in baseball. I like it. And we will also give a quick shout-out to... Nico and I top 10, number 10. Nico had Mickey Moniak and I had uh Hunter or Henry Davis. However, we did a lot on those two guys in our most recent episode talking about our breakout predictions. Nico, if you want to give a quick sentence on Moniak, I'll do the same for Davis and then we can move on. Yeah, it's very similar. If you check it out, you'll see the rant that I gave that we give up on guys if they have one bad year when we have highly when they're a highly touted prospect. Um, wasn't able to be good on the Phillies. Seems to have figured it out in his short sample size of 300 player appearances with the Angels. And I think if he's able to reproduce that, have over an 800 OPS with his athleticism, he'll be a top 10 outfielder. Well, ditto, top 10 ditto on Henry Davis minus he has not had those cup of coffee that was actually good with the Angels. But he might be moving back to catcher, which might save him, which might infuriate James. But Shout out to Henry Davis. I think he's got something coming, former number one overall draft pick, and we'll see what happens in Pittsburgh this year. But let's get to all the lists that were submitted by our amazing guests as we go into our yay or nay segment. We'll be doing our top 10 DHs next week. So if you'd like to have your list heard, make sure to send it over sideretiredpod at gmail.com. We will start with our behind-the-scenes side-retired guys before getting to those emails as per usual. Let's start off with our guy, Harry Kilman, and he's got a hot take that Riley Green is a top five right fielder in Major League Baseball in 2024. Five? Five. I don't, no. I don't know how you could look at Riley Green and say that, but, no. you know. No. I mean, I, I thought about him on my top ten, but not five. Yeah, I mean, top five's tough. Um, I think he's very good, but, I mean, it's just a very loaded position. I'm trying to see right now, looking at Harry's list, who did he leave off in order to get him to five? I don't know. He's got him above Adolis. And okay, I like it. Let's then move on to Matt Potter's list. And he's got Josh Lowe of the Tampa Bay Rays making it onto his top 10. 
it's tough for me because like I always put nuance on guys that are on the Rays because I feel like none of them when they leave are the same. I feel like the Rays are a factory of just getting the most out of their players. So I think in the Rays system, he can have a top 10 year, but I don't know if I see him as a top 10 right fielder. How about his take that at number one will be Corbin Carroll in 2024? No. I Dylan, <laughs> I'm sure you love that one. Uh, but no. I mean... I don't really have like too much of an opinion on it. I mean, if he thinks Corbin Carroll's Corbin Carroll could be an MVP candidate this year, he can be the MVP. I don't think anyone's surprised if he wins MVP. Same thing I have about Juan Soto. If the guy wins MVP, he's probably going to be number one. We've got one take, James. I want you to take this one that Starling Marte bounces back in 2024 and makes it onto the list. And Marte is getting up there in age. He uh, is it's very tough to justify uh, having him on any list. He hasn't really shown much as a Met. <laughs> and Frank, uh, Frank, the tanks, Frank the Tank said it best. It seems like he cares more about the Dominican Winter League than he does the MLB regular season. So, you know, <laughs> you get that. How about Nico? Someone submitted, and this was a name that I had to fact check that we're counting him as a right fielder. Wyler Bray, the Boston Red Sox, is basically going to be handed the everyday right field role, barring any offensive yeah. changes. He impressed a lot in like the short time that he was with the Red Sox. I don't know if I'm able to put him. I have a lot of high expectations for a lot of other guys on the Red Sox. So just by simple that not every single person could be elite. I can't didn't wasn't able to fit him in my top 10. But I think with how the Red Sox are able to develop hitters, I think that any guy on the Red Sox could break out. And if it's it's if it's him, I'm not surprised because I think that he showed that he's able to hit in the short time that he was there. Now we have to see if when he has a full 162, when he eventually has that slump, is it going to be a, he was not able to adjust and he's going to fall off or is he going to be able to bounce back? Henry, we've got a Mike Yastrzemski believer. You know, I had a, I had a moment of, I had a moment where I was like, is Mike Yastrzemski a top, a top 10 player in baseball? And then I looked at his stats and I was like, no, no, he's not. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. And it, I don't know if they were a Giants fan or not, but um, I feel like you sort of have to be to put Mike Strzewski as a top 10 player, right fielder. James, we've got one listener that says, I've been on the hype train with this guy for five years and it's never happened, but he's finally going to be an everyday player in 2024. Everyday player? Yes. <laughs> but I think he's saying that this is the time that he's finally going to get the shot to play every day because he did have him on his list at number eight. Joe Adele of the LA Angels. Oh my gosh! Come on, man. <laughs> you got to give up at some point. Like I understand. Like, yeah. I mean, like he was one of y'all's top prospects, and I mean, he did hit that 500 foot home run in in a Triple A this year in Salt Lake, which was kind of epic. And I'm I'm all for the long ball. So, uh, but I mean, come on, man. Like he played every day for two years for a couple month long stints, and let me tell you. There's a reason why he went back down to AAA. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. That's just a ridiculous take. All right, and I'll throw a couple other names that we did have out in the right fielder pool. Stop me if any of these names interest you guys. We've got Trevor Larnich, Gavin Sheets, Ramon Laureano, uh, Sal Frelick, Jesus Sanchez, Connor Joe, Jason Hayward, Sean Bochard, Austin Slater. A whole lot of nothing at this right field position to stay the think least. Jesus Sanchez could just have an 
uncharacteristic breakout year because again, knowing the Marlins, he's a very streaky hitter. I think that there is a chance that he just has a one year wonder at any mm-hmm. point in his career and rakes will probably be in his contract year, get overpaid, and then because of his streakiness, go back to being what he actually is. But again, watching the Red Sox and the Marlins, so I watched a lot of them because that's my hometown. He will have like days where you watch me like, wow, this guy is a fourth stick. And then he'll be, you'll have other games where you'll be like, yeah, he's the fourth stick on like a low way baseball team. I like it. Let's get into the last, but certainly not least. Absolutely. Dalvin Halpert has his top 10 right fielders. We're starting off with a bang, a guy that has not been on a top 10 right fielder list in several years. Hunter Renfro makes his way in at number 10. Number nine. I don't hate it for 10. Number nine, Henry, you're on the same wavelength as David, which is fun. George Springer is in at number nine. Number eight. Adam Heyer. Eight, we've got Max Kepler. These lists are kind of similar, Henry. Number seven, Anthony Santander. Number six, falling all the way down is Fernando Tatis Jr. At number five. Fernando Tatis. At number five, since he's no longer a Yankee fan, he can put Juan Soto that low in the number five spot here at right field. Number four, we've got Kyle Tucker. Number three, the Dulles Garcia. Number two, Corbin Carroll. And he does agree that the number one is Ronald Acuna Jr. But some interesting takes in there. I... Honestly, no. Some really good takes. Some really good takes at the bottom of his list. Um, I really like the way he ordered some of those guys too. Um, wow, that's a name. It. What was his top? Tell me his top four again. Acuna, Carroll, Garcia, Tucker, missing Soto and Tatis. I was gonna say something, but I was. He had a don't say it. in there, so it's not true. <laughs> Big hater on Fernando Tatis and. Big hater on Fernando Tatis and Juan Soto. A big time. Josh hater. If you Actually, I can say this. He doesn't to be too fond of the Dominican Republic because the only lines he has are a Venezuelan and a Cuban. Doesn't seem to be too hot on the DR. <laughs> and on that note, we'll be back again next week with our weekend recap on Monday. We've got a great interview coming out with a minor league prospect that's headed on to big league camp some point soon, as well as we've got our top 10 designated hitters next week. And, of course, there's also a Hall of Fame announcement coming out Tuesday night. So we're going to see how we're going to play Tuesday, whether we're going to release that episode immediately Tuesday night, and that would act as Wednesday's episode, or we're going to hold on to it till Wednesday morning, regardless when that is announced. Courtesy friend of the podcast, Josh Rawich on MLB Network, we will definitely give you our instant reaction to the new Hall of Fame class. We'll do our bold prediction for that one on Sunday night's episode, so we won't worry about that. But until the next time, for Dylan, James, Nico, and Henry, we're all good, and the side is retired.